1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. A lot of visitors here today, or, or fairly new folks, and that's really neat. Um, those of you who've been with us for a while, what's the message, the main message of 1 Thessalonians? He shall return. He is coming back. Jesus is returning soon, our commander-in-chief. Now, Jesus has told us to occupy this hostile territory until he comes. He's given us assignment, an assignment. We found that in Matthew chapter 28. I'll read it to you in case it's unfamiliar. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's our commander-in-chief. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you think about it, that's a pretty gutsy assignment, isn't it? We, we are, we've been told by our commander-in-chief that we are to recruit directly from the enemy's camp. We are to say, as he did, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is nearby. He will break into history soon. Over nearly 2,000 years now, our king has got troops deployed all over the globe. And he wants us to be ready. That's the message we've seen over and over again in First Thessalonians. Look at uh, chapter 5 there, verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. We saw this last time. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. There's this military theme running through a lot of Paul's uh, teachings. Last week, I asked the question, do you remember the, the question, the title of the message last week was, Are You Ready? Are we ready individually? Well, this week, I'd like to ask another question. Are we ready collectively? Like, as a squadron, as a troop, as a local platoon, as members of the SS Calvary Chapel? Are we ready to receive our King? Are we ready to do his work before he comes. Are we in position to, to do the things that he wants us to do? Do we know our roles? Do we know our battle stations? That's the title of the message is, Man Your Battle Stations. See, part of being ready for any work is knowing how to work together, right? We never know when we're going to be called up to meet the commander. We don't know what battles he would have for us to fight in the meantime. Why, why is he strategically placed us here in the Mount Dora, Tiveris, Eustace area? Are we ready to work together when the orders come down? That's what we're going to look at today. Imagine the scene. Uh, I'm, I'm not f as familiar with these military terms as I'd like to be, so forgive me if I misused them. But imagine the scene on a submarine or a battleship. Let's say a submarine. In the dead of night, in the fog, doesn't matter if you're underwater, of course. But let's play what's wrong with this picture. Uh, anybody do an alarm sound? Like, whoop, whoop. No? Oh, okay. All right, you're going to leave that to me? I figured there'd be some brave soul. All right, the alarm goes off. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Whatever. What's wrong with this picture? The officer on deck, I learned that. The officer on deck is the one who's left in charge. Okay, the officer on deck wakes up, bleary-eyed, and says... What's going on? Is it an attack? I, 
I guess we really should have loaded those torpedoes yesterday. I mean, I really wanted to, but I was afraid that the guys would think I was, you know, too bossy. What's wrong with that picture? Or let's say the officer on deck is doing his job right, but the sailor at the torpedo was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The officer is squawking again. Hey, I'll, I'll do what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. I don't need to hear that from you. Or what if the guy at the sonar says, I'm scared. I, I can't do it. What do we do? What if the guy who has the firing codes suddenly falls over? He's physically ill. He's too weak to go on. What do you do? These are the things we're going to find out here in these verses. As we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, we've arrived now at this portion of Scripture of Paul's letter that is practical. If you were with us in Galatians, you know this is kind of Paul's M.O. He teaches, he first starts off with encouragement, with uh, greeting. Then he goes into doctrine, how the, the Bible should be understood. And then he finishes, usually, with practical points. Kind of like what we do here at Calvary Chapel, where we say, hey, here's how you can actually apply this message. We come now to this practical application. This is Paul, like, you're going to notice. I think uh, I was listening to J. Vernon McGee. He said there's, from here to the end of the, the book, there's 22 commands. He's like, this Paul's like a, a sergeant barking out orders. 22 of them from here to the end. And the message is, are we ready? From verses 12 through 15, are we as a group ready? Specifically, as a, a local troop, what assignments does he have for us? What's my role? What's, where's my battle station? How should we behave toward one another in light of our standing orders from above? Today, verse 12 through 15, Paul's going to lay out how we get along in the service. Congratulations, you're in the service. Right? How we get along in the service together. We're going to see, let me outline it for you. Verse 12, we're going to see the responsibilities of a leader. In verses 12 and 13, we're going to see how you respond to a leader. In verse 13, we're going to see the results of responsible leadership responded to responsibly. Did you get that? Verse 13, we'll see the, res the results of when this works together correctly. Verse 14, we'll see the responsibility of all leaders and followers alike. And then finally, verse 15, we'll see the response to all leaders and followers alike. Now, if you're thinking, wait a second, okay, I'm, yeah, I, I'm new to this church, never seen you before, okay. I want to remind everyone here that we are all both leaders and followers. Both leaders and followers. Paul here is speaking in the context of a church. We're going to see that. But these points apply to all of us. We are all, without exception, both leaders and followers. Husbands, fathers, you are leaders. You are followers. Wives, mothers, you are leaders. You are followers. If there were teenagers here, I would say the same thing to them. They might think, well, I'm not a leader. Well, you are. If you are following Jesus, you are leading. By, oh, there are teenagers here. You're leading by example. Okay. What we're going to see first is verse 12, the responsibilities of a leader. Verse 12, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The reason, one of the reasons that Paul uh, felt the need to do this, apparently, as you conclude from, from looking at this, is that, remember, this church is only three weeks old. Well, by now they're about nine months old. But when Paul left them, they were only three weeks old. So imagine, there are... They've only been together for three weeks. All of them have known the Lord the same amount of time, but there emerge some people who have the gift of teaching. And in three weeks, there's probably some other guys going, 
What's so special about him? I've known the Lord just as long as he has. And there began to be, apparently, some question about the authority, the abilities of some of the people in leadership. So Paul is responding to this. What we see here for us is the responsibility of a leader. In verse 12, we're going to see that a leader is assigned to work. A leader is appointed to watch. And a leader is accountable to warn. Verse 12, one more time. Well, at least one more time. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. A leader is assigned to work. Now, before we go too much further, I want to take a minute or two to actually literally obey the scriptures right here. Recognize those who labor among you. See, a lot of people help run this ship in a lot of ways. I'd like to take a moment to formally recognize those who are on what I call the front lines. Now, a lot of you guys do a lot of different things, but what's the front lines? For me, that's children's ministry and setup. So, if you help set up on Saturday or help tear down on Sundays or both, could you stand up for just a second? Yay! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There you go. I, I want to thank you guys for reporting faithfully to duty. You want to show that picture? There, there might have been some people that weren't there, too. My, my grand plan today was to actually take pictures of all the people doing children's ministry, but it kind of blew up in my face. So, And apparently this has, too. All right. Anyway, the people. Ah, there we go. Yay. All right. It says here we are to recognize those who labor among us. Now, if you're a part of the children's ministry, would you stand now? Yeah. And all the people that are still working right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reporting to duty. And if you work in the nursery, thank you for reporting to duty. Duty. Sorry. I wanted to do that because it's a great way to practically apply the word of God. Maybe that would be your application today is when you pick up your your little one, say to that person, thank you to recognize those who labor among you. This we're going to see as we go, um, however many more messages the Lord gives us in this book, we're in that practical phase. So there's going to be plenty of really practical ways to apply the word. But the full context, let's get back to the full context of verse 12. It's specifically about church leadership, verse 12 is. There are currently five gentlemen. I don't know if any of them are here because they're probably all working, maybe. Um, Five gentlemen who work closely with me to help bring some order to this ship because I'm not a particularly orderly person. Ben, is he here? Ben? No, he's he's out. He's working. John, he's on vacation. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, stand up. (laughs) Yay. And Gain, who I think is working. And Philip, who is probably back there. Yeah. Um, If you've wondered who the deacons are in our church, that's them. We're we're it. Sorry. That's what you get. (laughs) I depend heavily upon these guys, and all six of us really need your prayers, always. Um, This verse, for, for verse 12, all of us should be taking this verse seriously, but particularly these guys, these six Myself included. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. The very first mark of leadership, the very first mark of someone who leads is that they work hard. The very first responsibility of a leader is that he works hard. The word labor here means to grow weary, tired, exhausted, to labor with wearisome effort, to toil. All of these guys, 
those, those five guys are or have been part of the setup crew, I asked them to come on Sundays and Thursdays, and then I asked them to stay afterwards on Thursday night so that we can fellowship and make sure that, that we're all good to go. We set aside time each week. Most of these guys work physically harder than I do. And I'd be embarrassed to include my name with them if I didn't also labor and toil in the word. First uh, Timothy verse 5 verse 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So I'm, I'm covered that I labor in the word and doctrine. As a matter of fact, the only way that I can do what I'm doing now is because of what those guys do and because of what so many of you do. We've seen that, that modeled actually in Acts chapter 6. You guys remember? When there arose the dispute uh, between some of the widows, hey, we're not getting as much food as these other people. And uh, the apostles said, hey, we're going to assign uh, seven godly men who are filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can do the work of the ministry so that we can stay to continue working in the word and in prayer. Leaders are assigned to work. But they are also, number two, appointed to watch. Verse 12, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Whoa, over you in the Lord. What does that mean? That's offensive. That's the, that almost sounds like Paul is teaching submission to church leaders. It's because Paul's teaching submission to church leaders. If, if you made the mar- how many people were here for the marriage series? Okay. You guys can tell the rest. We learned about submission, the S word, right? We, we think of this word, it's a, it's a prickly subject. We pointed out during the marriage series that submission is not the same as subjection. Submission, true submission, does not speak of weakness. On the contrary, we saw. And if, if, you, want, if you want to check me out, you can go on, on the web and get this message called the S word. You'll recognize it. On the contrary, true submission shows tremendous strength. What is submission? But it yields its own will for the good of another. And what's our best example? Jesus. When he was in the garden, what did he say to his father? He said, if it be your will, take this from me. But if not, let your will be done, not mine. Jesus submitted to the father. And we saw that. That Jesus is God. This is God submitting. That's, that is not a, a thing of weakness. No, that is a thing of tremendous strength, of self-sacrifice. Submission is not an act of weakness. It is a noble act of strength. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 22, let me read this for you. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. When Paul says to the Thessalonians, right here, chapter 5, verse 12, when he says, recognize those who are over you, he doesn't mean recognize those who are better than you. It doesn't mean that at all. Any more than a husband is better than his wife. This is a matter of everyone going to their battle stations. Does that make sense? See, we are a body. Jesus says that he is the head, and he has placed some of us over others in the body. Think about your body. Some of your body parts function to receive messages to go to the head. Some of your body parts function to relay messages from the head. Some of your body parts function to respond to those messages. 
right? The eyes and the ears and the mouth, those are physically, actually physically over your hands and your feet. Now, the ears are over the feet. Are they more important? No. When you hear a bear in the woods, your feet are every bit as important as your ears. They work together. They do their job. They work together. Now, the eyes are over the hands. Are the eyes more important than the hands? Not if you want a sandwich. The, these things work together. We even have a, a, a word for that. It's called hand-eye coordination. Imagine if the hand were to say to the eye, Hey, how come you get all the glory? I want to turn. And the hand plucks out the eye and then tries to stick itself in the socket. What have you got? A mess. You have hand-eye insubordination. Or imagine if your feet mutinied against your nose. Your feet would smell and your nose would run. Did you get that? Verse 12 again. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. See, where it says over, that word actually means to set or place before, to set over, to be over, to superintend, to preside over, to be a protector or a guardian. There's your key uh, definition. To protect, to guard. See, the point is that leaders in the church, leaders in government, leaders in the home are appointed by him with specific responsibilities. And among those are they are assigned to work. They are appointed to watch, to watch for danger. Verse 12 again. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Admonish, that means to warn. Once again, come back to the officer on the deck. He is to watch and to warn. I mean, if he watches but he will not warn, then he's derelict in his duty and his ship is in danger. Likewise, though, if he warns without watching, then he himself will be caught off guard and his ship is in danger. In either case, the officer on the deck is the one who is accountable. He's the one who will answer to the commander-in-chief. If I see you, and, and again, I'm speaking to, there, there's, there's people who are visiting, so I'm not, I'm not claiming uh, leadership in your life, okay? But if, if you belong to our church and, and you come to me for counsel, and I see you headed for danger, I'm obligated by the word to tell you, right? If I, if I, if I watch and I don't warn, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Now, remember, again, so you don't check out, fathers, husbands, you are the officer of the deck at your home. You are assigned to work. You are appointed to watch. And you are accountable to warn. Teenagers, I know you guys are good kids. You probably don't even need to hear this. But this is why your parents are always in your business because they are appointed to watch and accountable to warn. They will give an account. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So what are the responsibilities of a leader? Assigned to work. Appointed to watch, accountable to warn. 
Now, what's the proper response to a leader? Verse 12, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize. That's the first proper response to a leader. Those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Recognize, it means to pay attention. So, guys, pay attention. It means to respond to. It means to heed the words of. Now, that makes sense, right? I mean, if we're working together and the leader is appointed to watch and to warn, it makes sense that those who are listening should heed that warning. But there is a very important caveat that we need to make sure we see. It's that phrase, in the Lord. We said this in the marriage series, and I'll say it again. No leader, whether it's in your home or in your government or in your church, no leader can ask you to disobey your king. Paul is not speaking here of blind obedience. He says, of, over those, those over you in the Lord. He's not speaking of blind obedience. He's not speaking of a personal forced accountability to church leaders. You guys, some of you may remember that. There was the shepherding movement. It was where, it was goofy. It was where people had to check in with their pastors or their elders or whatever before they bought a car. Crazy stuff. People not living with their relationship with the Lord, but somehow transferring over this responsibility completely of their personal lives to this, uh, this leader. October 10th, this last week, 2006, maybe you heard this, an 80-year-old German motorist had obediently followed his navigation system all the way into a huge pile of sand, abruptly bringing his trip to an end. The motorist ignored a motorway um, closed for construction sign and crashed his Mercedes into a pile of sand further down the road. The driver was following the orders from his navigation system. And even though there was a sufficient number of warnings and barricades, he continued his journey into the construction site. His trip finally ended when he wound up crashing into that pile of sand. Right? You guys understand the difference between recognizing authority and blind obedience. Again, if you come to me for counseling and I say, look, this is what the word says. And you say, well, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. Then you're accountable because I have told you the truth. I've warned you. Right? But if I come to you and say, hey, uh, the Lord told me you're supposed to sell your car and give it to the church. It's like, whoop, whoop, right? Alarm bells should go off. The proper response to leadership is to recognize, to pay attention, but it's not necessarily blind obedience, especially if it's not consistent with, with what the Lord would have you to do. Look at verse 13 now. It says, recognize, that's your first uh, proper response and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. It's a little awkward. You guys are supposed to esteem me very highly in love. Okay, get to it. <laughs> esteem means, and it, it is it's actually pretty dramatic words here. Um, very is hooper, means um, over, beyond, more than. And parisos uh, means exceeding some number or measure or rank or need. Um, basically saying you're supposed to really love them. Okay. Um, but what's the currency that you, you are to love your leaders in love, right? That, that's, that's the currency that we pay in. And why? Is it, are we supposed to be, uh, esteem me very highly because I'm so attractive? Why are you laughing? So smart? So humble? No, the reason is, look, it says for their work's sake. That means because of the thing that they're busy putting their, their heart to, right? Paul knew, and the Lord knew when he wrote this, he knew that there's some people that you're not going to click with, right? 
There's probably some of you right now is like, man, that guy's such a dork. He tells dumb stories or whatever. But it doesn't say you have to like me because I'm so clever. No, we are to esteem those who work hard around us, who uh, protect us because of the work that they do. So we've seen now the responsibility of a leader, the response to that leader. Now look at the end of verse 13, and we see this is the one that went by so fast. The results of responsible leadership responded to responsibly. What's the result if this works together? If we learn to submit to one another, to yield to one another, we will, it says, the end of verse 13, be at peace. Be at peace among yourselves. The family memory verse in your bulletin that you can take home and and learn to uh, have it memorized. Hopefully, maybe some of you do already. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here's the point. Sometimes we forget who we're fighting. And we end up putting our, turning our guns toward each other. That's what's happening. I mean, if you, if you look, if you've been with us, Thessalonians is filled with Paul saying, you guys are doing great at this, you're doing great at this, you're doing great at this. And finally he comes to a spot and he's like, look, you guys could really use some help here. There's some, there's some people talking about leadership and there's maybe some leadership that are lording it over, over the body. He says, this, these things need to, to end. You need to quit turning your guns toward another. another. Um, imagine the idiocy of this. This picture again. What's wrong with this picture? A warship is under siege and the soldiers have their guns pointing at each other. I mean, it's counterproductive, to say the least. Instead of waging war on our enemy, often, Christians, we destroy ourselves through so-called friendly fire. Paul here is giving us practical advice on how we can work together, right? He's, he's shown us the responsibility of a leader. He's shown us the proper response to leadership. We've seen the results of responsible leadership. Now, fourthly, let's look at verse 14, the responsibilities of all. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. This verse, probably the best way to capsulize this, Paul turns his, his attention now to the well, problem child's children, children's. The problem child. He says, he, he notes the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And then he says, be patient with all. But notice first that he doesn't commission only the officer on the deck. He doesn't just talk. He's not just talking to the leaders. He says, we exhort you, brethren. That's an all-inclusive word. And this is what I'm so thankful for, this church. The best teams, the best troops, do not consist of one great leader, but of one good leader who's surrounded by other people who help lead. One lead, great leader maybe who teaches others to lead. See, the job of ministering to the troops is really truly too big for one man. Ephesians 4.12, we've referenced it several times. It's on our sign. We are to be equipping the saints. Who's that? You guys. You guys are all saints. I saw a lady uh, is up for sainthood this week. But she's been dead for a long time. You guys are alive and you're saints, right? Our job is to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That means we are to be ministering to each other, leading each other this way. Look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Our first problem child 
is the unruly one. Again, this is a military word. This word combined with verse 8 was kind of the reason I went into this military mode. It means to be disorderly, to be out of rank. It's a, again, it's a military word about soldiers. In, in uh, Greek society, they would use it this for someone who didn't show up to work. And Paul says uh, through this, you know, there's people who say, oh, well, the Lord is coming back. I'm, I just won't work. He says, no, show up, do your work, do your job. He says, warn those who are unruly. What he's talking about here in our terms is the Lone Ranger Christian. The one who says, well, I don't need to go to church. I'll just do my own thing. I'm not interested to conforming to any standard or any expectation. And maybe you guys are thinking, well, that's the pastor's job to warn the unruly. But that's not what this says here. If you see someone who is headed for danger, who's out of rank, and you know that they're headed for danger, right here it says that we, brethren, should tell them. I was thinking about this. This is in my notes, but... When I was teaching the high school back in Orlando, the first year or so was really tough because, um, well, it wasn't too tough because we only had a couple people. But there, there was uh, at least one person, I think, who was not particularly into falling into rank. You know, it's like not to talk during the message and different stuff. And had to be pretty firm with this person. But then as we grew, there were leaders who came up. And I never, by the end, never had to say, hey, sit down. Keep your mouth shut. Any of that stuff. Because the other people were going, hey, dude. Right? That's how they talk. Hey, dude. <laughs> but you get it? We, the way it works is when we help, help lead by example. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted. What does that mean? It means literally small-souled. One who has a small soul. This is like the, the guy who is timid. The one who is scared. You've, you've heard these people. I could never be used by the Lord, they say. Uh, there's, there's too much wrong with me. I could never be used by him. This says that we are, as a group, collectively, when we get a chance, all of us, at different times, we are to comfort the small soul. The word is parakaleo. Sound familiar? We've seen it several times. It means to come alongside, to encourage. See, I see here that, that soldier who is struck with fear. In verse 14, I, I totally see a, a troop marching, right? And there's one guy who's totally off doing his own thing. And they're like, hey, dude, get back here. And then here, there's the faint-hearted. There's a guy like, I don't know if I can go on. I'm just like, and somebody comes along and says, yes, you can. You can do it. Let's go. I'll walk with you. And then it says, uphold the weak. This is, this is even more of a, of a dramatic picture. What it means is to literally keep oneself directly opposite to one, to hold him firmly, to cleave to, paying heed to him, right? It means to basically say, this is, this is the guy who's going to faint, right? The guy with the, the firing codes. And he's just like, I physically am not able to do it. You're like, no, I'll hold you up for a time, for a period. I will hold you up. I will carry you as we march. Then it says, lastly, be patient with all. You're going to need that. If you've been hearing what I'm saying, you're going to need to be patient with all. See, problem children or problem soldiers can be taxing on our patients. We, we need to be patient and long-suffering with all. We've seen now <clears throat> the responsibilities of leadership, the response to leadership results 
of, the, of that proper response. The responsibilities of all, and now finally, we're wrapping up. Verse 15, the response to all. Verse 15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. <clears throat> now he's using the, the really broad words, all. You know how we said that sometimes we have our guns pointed at each other, the wrong enemy? Well, sometimes Christians do the, the other thing where they point outside the church, but it's still at people. What, what was the verse, the, our family memory verse? It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? We are to recruit from the enemy's camp. You can't recruit them if you've killed them. He says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. This is the way that we recruit, is not by killing the enemy, right? But by realizing that they are not our enemy, the people, right? It's the principalities. It's the the things that are behind their actions. This is exactly what Jesus did, right? Not rendering evil for evil to anyone. All the times he was beaten, he was spit upon. When they said, come down from the cross and prove that you're God. Such restraint, right? Not rendering evil for evil, but pursuing what was good, both for him, because he said, it's not good that I would die alone like a seed. He said, but I will die and be raised again, and I'll bring many with me. It was good both for him. He considered you a treasure worth dying for, and it was good for all, all of those who will receive this wonderful blessing that he's done for us. 